how to deal with anger. That's the subject of today's message. Last week we looked at the beginning of Proverbs 29, verse 8. We read there that it was a scoffer who sets a city aflame, a scoffer who purposely facilitates chaos and destruction. The second half of Proverbs 29, 8 tells us, but the wise turns away wrath. Wrath here means anger. Turns away can be translated as in turns back. A wise person doesn't entertain anger for a long time. A wise person does not let anger litter, lit, loiter or linger about. Let's pray. Father, we need your wisdom as we open your word in order to hear it correctly, in order for it to be applied to our hearts. And so we pray now by the power of your spirit that you would free us to hear what you have to say to us, Lord. We are grateful that you are about the business of transforming our lives to make us more like Jesus. And we want to be willing collaborators in that process, Lord. So help us to be open as you speak clearly to our hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name. A wise person turns back anger. Well, we're all acquainted with anger, I suspect. Maybe some are more acquainted with anger than others. But we all know anger. It's a strong, undeniable emotion that makes some people very uncomfortable and with which some people are entirely too comfortable. But regardless of your personal sense or response to anger, we are all familiar with it. And one thing is true for all of us. Anger is an indicator. Anger is an indicator. Anger alerts us to the presence of a problem, a problem to be addressed. Sometimes that problem is outside of us. Sometimes that problem is inside of us. But either way, anger is an indicator, a signal, that we are perceiving something to be wrong. Something is out of order from the way we believe it ought to be. And any time we don't turn away anger, that is, any time we allow it to take hold of us, we let it live in us, any time we in any way allow it to consume us, even if we just accommodate it for a little while, as opposed to resolving it in accordance with God's ways, the consequences of anger can be quite damaging. Proverbs 29, verse 22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. That is, abounds in sin, stirs up trouble. Let me give you two quick examples of how unbiblical approaches to anger can stir up some trouble. The first unbiblical approach to anger is denial. This is something that a lot of Christians are prone to because we have either been taught wrongly or wrongly surmised that anger is sin. And anger is not sin. Our God, who we know to be loving and kind and gracious, merciful, all of these things he is, and yet he is angry every day when he looks at the things happening in this world. Jesus, we read, was tempted in all things and yet without sin. And yet Jesus 
was angry. He never sinned, but he did get angry. Mark chapter 3, we read about Jesus coming to the synagogue to heal a man, willing to heal a man with a withered hand, but it was the Sabbath day. And so he asked the people there, the people in charge, the religious leaders, is it lawful? Is it good? Should we do this? They weren't willing to give him the go-ahead. Scripture says it made him vexed in his spirit. He was angry. Jesus was clearly angry. He wasn't happy with the disciples when they forbade the children to come to him. And then, of course, there's the table-tipping thing. That incident that you recall in the temple when he went to his father's house. And he saw that the merchants there had turned the temple of God, which was supposed to be a house of prayer, into a place for them to conduct their business. And Jesus was angry. And he tipped over those tables and he drove them out. He was angry, but he never sinned because anger is not a sin. It's okay to be angry from time to time. The question is, are you angry about the right thing? When you're angry, what are you angry about? Is it a righteous anger? Or is it an unrighteous anger? I'm going to save that for a sermon prayerfully that's going to happen like sometime in 2021. But I would tell you, and one never really knows, does one? Um, but my experience, the majority of the anger that we partake in and experience is not righteous anger. It's probably... Probably 80 to 90 percent sinful or selfish anger, and then maybe maybe there's 10, 10 to perhaps 20 if you're really well along. That is righteous anger. Anger is not a sin. It's have to be angry about the right things. Ephesians 4:26 says, "Be angry and do not sin." If this, uh, if it weren't possible to be angry and not sin, this imperative would make no sense in Scripture. You can be angry and not sin. It also says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So anger itself isn't a sin. What, what is sinful is usually how we handle anger. Tracking with me there? That, what, what, how, how we respond to the anger then has a potential to be sinful. And I want to talk about one of these common ways to sinfully respond to anger. It's denial. It is denial. We're just pretending that I'm not angry. If we, if we choose not to admit our anger, if we choose that route of clamming up when we feel angry, well, one of the first things that happens is we make ourselves out to be liars. And I think at this point you're going, wow, we're, we're sinful in our anger and now we're liars. How, yeah, that's quite a leap. How do you get there? Let me, t- let me tell you how I get there. Someone sees the expression on your angry face. Okay, It's very obvious that you are upset. And they, and they ask, what's the matter? And if you're the kind of person who denies anger, the first thing you say is, see, some of you know this. So let's get a little more intimate. We're with husbands and wives now, and we're having some sort of dispute. And it's not going well. And you can tell, one or the other can tell, that they've crossed a line and they've offended their spouse. And they say something like this. Are you sure you're okay? And the spouse says, bingo, I'm fine. Okay? So when you're upset and somebody says, are you upset or what's upsetting you? And you say nothing. When, when you're not okay and somebody says, are you okay? And you say, I'm fine. You're lying. You're lying. You've made yourself out to be a liar. Whatever reason we don't want to tell the truth, 
we're lying. But worse than that, when we clam up and uh, we don't resolve the anger, we hold it inside. And think of it like this. Anger is like milk in the refrigerator, okay? It has an expiration date. And if you don't get rid of it in time, it's going to go bad. Anger inside of you, not properly dealt with, is going to go bad. Now, I'm not saying that we have to express our anger every time we feel a twinge. All right? That would be an awful world to live in, wouldn't it? Um, it was Thomas Jefferson who purportedly said, when angry, count to ten before you speak. And if very angry, a hundred. So do, do what you have to do to not just blurt out when you're angry. American satirist Ambrose Bierce wisely wrote, speak when you are angry and you will give the best speech you will ever regret. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So we have to use discretion then in the expression of our anger. A momentary upset that is likely not to matter in five minutes or five hours or five days, probably not worth losing our cool over. Someone says or does something at exactly the wrong time, you're in a bad mood, you're hypersensitive, you misinterpret something, it makes you angry. It is wise at that point to hold that back because just as quickly as that sort of anger comes, it can leave. So we need to know, right, wisdom, when we should express our anger, when we should hold it in. But the habit of regularly suppressing our anger, holding that in, not admitting it, denying it, can lead to bigger problems than being angry. The person who doesn't acknowledge their anger, who stuffs it down, who thinks it's socially unacceptable or makes him unattractive or whatever reason they don't want to express it, harms himself, harms herself. Because what the Bible tells us is that anger then gets a grip in the heart. And with that grip in the heart, it inadvertently on the part of the person holding it in defiles many. Because anger that is harbored and grudges that are held leads to plotting and fantasizing about revenge, leads to becoming surly and being hard to get along with. This is the way that anger changes us when it's not properly dealt with. makes us cynical, makes us critical, makes us not, not the person that anybody really wants to be with. That's the danger of denying our anger. But on the other end of the spectrum, from the one who clams up, is the one who blows up. The one who lets it all hang out, you know, the one who's short-tempered, the one that you always know where you stand with this one, the one with the short fuse. That's the person who erupts at nearly every slight, the person who is offended by the least unmet expectation. And then in that exploding process, just hurts everybody uh, in proximity with a shrapnel of, of misdirected words, inappropriate words, and violent actions. A lady once came to evangelist Billy Sunday, attempted to rationalize her angry outburst. She said, there's nothing wrong with losing my temper. I blow up and then it's all over. Mr. Sunday replied, so does the shotgun. There's really no such thing as just blowing up, although I've heard that from many people in the course of many years. Well, I just blow up. It's my way of handling it. I just, I'm going to stop at just. Just is a word that makes it seem like blowing up is not that big a deal. 
and it is that big a deal. I just blow up, and it makes me feel better. Well, good for you. But as Christians, there's another consideration that has to be brought into the equation here. How does it make anyone else feel? It may make you feel better, but how does it impact anybody else? We are told in God's word to give preference to one another in honor. In other words, in our relationships, we should be caring a lot more about how our actions make others feel than they do about how they make us feel, right? And there's also this thing about, well, I just blow up. It makes me feel better. That, that people think, especially if you're alone, it's no big deal. But I want to point out to you, if you're the person who blows up, that you do realize that you're never alone, right? You do know that. That you are never alone. You are never outside the sight or the hearing of your Heavenly Father. And how does your blowing up jive with the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians of self-control? The Scripture speaks pretty plainly about how out of line the behavior of blowing up is. Proverbs 14.29 says, A person of great understanding is patient, but a short temper is the height of stupidity. A short temper is the height of stupidity. A hasty temper exalts folly. It's the height of foolishness. Blowing up, like clamming up, causes personal, emotional, spiritual, relational damage. So what is the solution then? What are we Christians to do with our anger when we have it? Well, seminary professor and accomplished biblical counselor, Lou Priolo, says that anger is an emotion God gives us for the purpose of destroying something. You always thought it was just that thing that came on you that you had a hard time controlling, but that it is an emotion that God has given us for the purpose of destroying something. And so for us, the first thing to do is understand that that something to be destroyed is not the self by holding all the anger in, and it's not others by blowing up on them. That thing to be destroyed is the problem that's causing the anger. What are you upset about? What is out of order in your life? What injustice have you perceived? What is wrong? Anger is to be harnessed to attack the problem, not to be accommodated, not to be encouraged, not to be minimized, not to be overlooked, justified, rationalized, coddled, or fed. Anger is a destructive and a potentially dangerous emotion. Last week we read a lengthy passage from Acts 19 which told the story of a silversmith named Demetrius who felt his business of selling idols was in jeopardy because of the good preaching of the Apostle Paul. And so he got a, a crowd of peers uh, to align with him, playing on their fears and the speculation that if Paul is successful in preaching about a true God, people are going to forsake the false gods and we're going to be out of business. And that got people admittedly concerned and riled up. And eventually, in the town, a riot broke out. Demetrius is the example of the scoffer who sets the city ablaze. But, but after about two hours of this loud and unruly behavior, the town clerk intervened. And in the passage from Acts 19, we see that he is the wise one. Wise men and women seek to avoid discord. Wise men and women will seek peace town clerk appeals to the angry crowd and he uses reason. He offers them a solution. He provides the mob with facts. 
He gives them insight regarding their behavior and the consequences if they continue to act badly. He speaks the truth and he says there is no justification we can give for this commotion. He calms the crowd down. He doesn't incite them. He, crowds, he calms them down and he dismisses them from the riot without dismissing their concern. And that, I think, is an important piece here. This is one key to turning back anger. We can dismiss the anger without dismissing the concern. Many years ago when I had a different job taking care of disadvantaged youth, I, I received a phone call from a parent who did not, uh, had some issues at least with some of the care apparently that his child was receiving. The phone rang and I answered it the way that I would always answer. This is Scott, how can I help you? And this fellow proceeded to just go up one side of me and down the other with profanities and obscenities. It wasn't nice at all. And uh, I said to him, I said, sir, if you continue to speak to me in this way, this is going to be a short conversation. Well, I don't give a nip. And I hung up. My phone rang again, and I picked it up, and I said, this is God. How can I help you? And he carried on where he'd left off with profanities and obscenities and an escalated tone, and I just hung up. And the third time the phone rang, and I picked it up, and I said, this is Scott, how can I help you? And he said, I'd like to talk with you about some concerns I have. I'd love to talk to you about your concerns. I'm just not going to entertain the anger, but I certainly will entertain the concerns. This is one way to turn the anger back. I think you probably have all experienced this, that when anger is met with anger, it, it usually only increases the anger in the room. You notice that? If somebody's mad and you're mad, and it just kind of goes like that, right? Just climbs the ladder. If, you, if you've ever had any experience in crisis intervention, I know that some of you have. We have police officers and teachers and counselors in our midst, so I know some of you have. You know what you do with an escalated individual. Try to calm them down. You try to de-escalate the situ situation. You try to bring the volume down. You try to bring the tension down. If you raise your voice to that agitated person, if you act aggressively to an agitated person, that's just about as bright as dropping a match in a gas can. You will not get the desired result. It's absolutely true. The Bible teaches, Proverbs 15, verse 1, that a harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer, a soft answer, turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs it up, and a gentle, a tender, a caring, a reasoned response turns away wrath. A lot of personal damage, a lot of relational, even physical damage, as we're seeing in our own country these days, with these uh, riots and lootings, buildings, businesses, vehicles, literally set aflame. A lot of damage occurs when anger is misdirected, when it's inappropriately expressed, and then when it is responded to with additional anger. When we do that, really all we're doing is just setting up a fight. And in that fight, the only one that wins is the biggest dog. And that's what it's all about. I'm going to bring my power, and you bring your power, and we'll bring more power, and you bring more power. Nothing ever gets resolved when anger is met with anger. And unresolved anger, the scripture says, is the foothold for the devil. Think about that, would you, as you, as you evaluate what's happening maybe in your own lives, in your own relationships, certainly in our country, even in this world. Do you think the devil 
who is chaotic and reveling in all this chaos. The devil, whose job is to kill, steal, and destroy. How is he doing? By riling up our anger. The Bible tells us also not to let the sun go down on our anger. In other words, don't deny your anger, but don't harm anybody else with your anger. Don't blow up and, and attack somebody. Resolve it and attack the problem. And that brings us back to the text for today. The man of wrath who stirs up strife is a scoffer who sets a city aflame and incites sin. The wise person is the one who turns anger away, who turns it back. We're studying the book of Proverbs because we want to be wise people. Amen? Right? The, the point of Proverbs is to help us see the juxtaposition between that which is foolish, even if it's that which is acceptable, and that which is wise. And God's intention through this book, just as it was for Solomon for his own son, is please choose the path of wisdom. Please be wise. So here are a few ways that the Bible tells us we can be wise in our handling of anger. These are not uh, specific prescriptions for you today because I think probably dealing with a subject like this, it's so common. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, oh, I know an angry person and I know now how I ought to deal with that person or what, where I've gone wrong. And some of you are thinking, well, I am that angry person and you're kind of lost in your own space right now. So I just want to throw out a few possibilities that the Bible suggests, the Bible teaches, actually, about how to deal with anger. And where they apply, then you go ahead and apply them. The first possibility for turning back anger, following Proverbs 29.8, turning back anger, is remove the source. Most always there's a source of the anger. And the scripture in Proverbs 22.10 says, Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. So if it's possible, maybe you need to remove the source of the anger. That might be true if you run a business and you've got somebody who's consistently disruptive with their angry behavior. That might be true if you're in a church and you've got some member that is consistently divisive and stirring up anger. The scripture says drive out the scoffer. And I know we live in a kind of an inclusive society where you're not supposed to set these kind of limits or send anyone packing and I don't think it could be done carelessly or maliciously or without sentiment or a thought but you, you know what I'm saying this is what the Bible teaches if you accommodate the scoffer you're just inheriting all the trouble that the scoffer brings so sometimes the solution is remove the source secondly if you can't remove the angry person you can't remove the source sometimes the solution is remove yourself you take responsibility. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Make no friendships with the man given to anger, anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You do get to choose who your friends are. You do get to choose who you spend time with. You do have a lot of control over that. And if, if you are find yourself with somebody who's consistently given to anger or somebody who makes you angry all the time, maybe remove yourself from that situation, at least until the anger issue is tamped down or dealt with, because the danger here is that you might become like that person. That's what the Proverbs warning us against. A third approach to turning back anger might be just to remove the fuel from the fire, so to speak. And that's that whole meeting anger with anger. You insult me, I insult you, you throw another insult, I throw another, and on and on it goes. And all we're doing is building this great big bonfire of anger. 
But the scripture teaches us in, in Proverbs 26.20 that for lack of wood, a fire goes out. And one of the things that I speak of regularly in counseling with people is, gee, don't be part of the problem. Don't fuel the problem. One of the first things some people have to do is just resolve we're not fighting. We're not going to fight. We can talk. We can have a conversation. But we're not fighting because when we fight, it, it escalates to the point that's just unhealthy. And I'm not going to give you the bullets to shoot me with. I'm not going to throw wood on this fire. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you. I love that this is in here, like twice. It recognizes that this is hard. So A, if it's possible, and B, as much as it depends on you, because it's not always going to depend on you, but where it's possible and as much as you can, live peaceably with all. That's our call as Christians, to live peaceably with all. In a recent article titled, Why Unhealthy People Crave Controversy, Russell Moore gives good advice. He says, sometimes we must be ready to speak a word into a controversy, but often what's called for is for someone to model the different way of valuing his soul over having something to say. When it comes to those for whom quarreling is life, the way to win is not to win at their game, but to play a different game altogether. Farther along in Romans 12, we're given the blueprint for this different game. It tells us not to be overcome by evil, but what? To overcome evil with good. That's easy to read, easy to say, harder to do. But not to be overcome, not to be overwhelmed, not to let evil get the victory, to get the upper hand. But instead, purpose in your heart beforehand that you, when confronted with evil, with wrong, will try to overcome it with good. The Apostle Paul reminded his student Timothy, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. To everyone able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So, beloved, just because someone's fighting with fire, and even if that lights a fire inside of us, doesn't mean we have to. Scoffers set a city ablaze, but the wise turns away wrath. Turning away wrath isn't natural, is it? But it is what James says in the third chapter of his epistle, the wisdom that comes from heaven. Turning away wrath is the wisdom that, if followed, will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. It is the wisdom that will accomplish the purposes of God. For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteous purposes of God. But the righteous purposes of God can be accomplished by the one who refuses to be ruled by anger. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteous purposes of God. And so if, if, you, if you struggle with that, that's going to change. The book of James tells us, right, that we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If you're a person given to anger, my friend, you, you must do the work to lengthen your fuse in order to bring glory to God. 
because the ang your anger does not accomplish the righteous purposes of God. However, this is the good news. The righteous purposes of God can, can be accomplished by the one who refused to be ruled by anger. It absolutely can. If you would be ruled by something else, or someone else, like Jesus. When I was putting this message together, I just kept thinking about Jesus and how he, he lived, and when he was angry, his anger on those few occasions was completely righteous but how he was the recipient of such unrighteousness and hostility. And yet even though he was reviled, the scripture tells us he did not revile in return. And I think also about Jesus literally turning away the righteous anger of his heavenly father by bearing it in his own body on the cross. And he turned that away for you and I, so that you and I do not need to bear the righteous anger of God. Jesus bore it. Will we be ruled by Jesus? Will we know his peace?